Mike, you probably don't look at me and think, there's someone who's crazy about Broadway musicals. No, Ken, I, I don't look at you and think that. But I do think many things, but that's definitely not one of them. <laughs> well, I'm not actually crazy about them. But I do enjoy them from time to time. My wife, however, she loves musicals. Les Miserables, that's her favorite one. But close behind would be West Side Story. Oh, yeah, Less Miserable. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I guess the I'm American not, Yeah, I was going to say, I guess I'm not French. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the, the, the West Side Story is the one with the Jets and the Sharks, the rival gangs who like to dance and snap their fingers. You know, that's really tough. Yeah, Gangs who danced and snapped their fingers. I missed those kinds of gangs. Yes. But, but that is the story. That, that, yep. That's the one. And did you know it was written by Leonard Bernstein? I did, I did not. Well, no, I did, I did. I think I did know that. The, the guy who conducted the New York Philharmonic Orchestra, correct? That's the guy. Yep. And did you know that Bernstein was once asked which instrument was the most difficult to play. Hmm. And Mike, which instrument would you pick? Oh, geez. Let me see. Let me think about that. Uh, if, I had to th- if I had to pick, I'd probably think the tuba would be the hardest instrument to play, especially if you had to carry it. Like, <laughs> How about the glockenspiel? Ooh, that's hard to pronounce. The glockenspiel. <laughs> the glockenspiel. Oof. Well, when, when Bernstein was asked what instrument was the most difficult to play, here's what he said. The second fiddle. Hmm. He said, I can get plenty of first violinists, but to find someone who can play the second fiddle with enthusiasm, he said, that's a problem. And if we have no second fiddle, we have no harmony. Oh, interesting. I did not know that. That is, that is a hard instrument to play, to play second fiddle for it's sure. It's much harder than the glockenspiel. Wow. That, that amazes me. So, so when we return, we're going to look at a guy who was comfortable playing second fiddle, and we'll see what it teaches us about following Jesus. Hello and welcome to Jesus Changes People, a podcast that seeks to uncover the real Jesus and what it means to be a modern-day follower of Him. Each week, we dive into different parts of Jesus' life and His teachings. Some of it may be familiar to you, and some of it, well, it might be weird. But our goal each week is to help you know Jesus better and to become more like Him. My name is Mike Ronkelia, and I'm the online campus pastor at Mountain View Christian Church in Denver, Colorado. I'm joined today by our senior pastor and the co-host of this podcast, Ken Hensley. Hey, Mike. I see you brought your tuba to the studio. (laughs) I wish it was a tuba, Ken, but that's your coffee cup. That's huge. You know, we do record these episodes early in the morning. And speaking of coffee, one guy who definitely didn't need any coffee was John the Baptist. Uh, That's quite a segue. And when I say segue, (laughs) segue is another weird word. Like when you see that spelled. It's not spelled like like segue. No, it looks like segu or something. Segu, that's French. Yes, there we go. That's French. (laughs) Less miserables. So... But, but did you like that, though? Yeah. You know, how it was I, very nice. You know, talking about tuba and coffee cup and yeah. got to John the Baptist. Very, very, very neat segue. But, but honestly, you know, seriously, a guy who starts his sermon with, you brood of vipers, uh. who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, he doesn't sound like a guy who needs any coffee. Again, that feels like a boom roasted. Like, mm. <laughs> but yeah, not, yeah, he doesn't need any coffee at all. He, he, not even decaf. You know, maybe a, a little chamomile tea before bed. I'm pretty sure, Ken, that John the Baptist isn't a chamomile tea kind of guy, 
But despite the brood of viper sermons, can he he's been pretty pretty successful in his no, process. Maybe it's because of those sermons. Yep, it's it's possible. Some people do seem to like that kind of stuff, that that in your face uh, brood of vipers mentality. Mark's gospel describes his success this way. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But as we find out in John chapter 3, someone else has been baptizing people too, and his name is Jesus. And that catches the eye of John's disciples. It sure does. I love how dramatic they are. They come to John the Baptist and they say, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Everybody. Everyone. On today's episode of Jesus Changes People, we're going to learn the secret of playing second fiddle from a man who probably never heard of a fiddle, John the Baptist. As a pastor, I'm always looking for resources that will help people understand Jesus better and follow him more closely. One of those resources is Christianity Explored. Created in London, England, under the leadership of John Stott, Christianity Explored helps people discover Jesus and the movement he started. It's great for skeptics, seekers, and searchers. To find a class in your area or one that meets online, go to ChristianityExplored.org. That's ChristianityExplored.org. At some level, competition makes life more enjoyable. It's true in sports. If we knew that Broncos or Rockies were guaranteed to lose every game, attendance would plummet. Mike, nobody would want to go. But what if, Ken, they were only highly likely to lose every game? I mean, we've experienced that lately. (laughs) You know, I I imagine the same thing would happen. We, We have sporting events because we want our favorite team to win. Or if it's the Super Bowl... We watch because of the commercials. Oh, I love the Super Bowl commercials. <laughs> yeah, me too. I hear you. I hear what you're saying here, and the, the idea that competition isn't always a bad thing. When businesses compete for customers, it, it always benefits the customer. At least that's what I've seen. It usually does. The, the customer may get a better product at a lower price. But, but while this episode isn't about economics, it does involve competition. Yep, or at least perceived competition. Mm. Can set the stage for our listeners what we're talking about here? Well, Mike, our story is found in John chapter 3. We meet John the Baptist in the opening verses of the book. From the first time we meet him, he seems very aware of who he is, and perhaps even more importantly, who he's not. Yeah, I I love the dialogue in chapter 1. The Jewish leaders send investigators to find out who John the Baptist was, and he tells them, I'm not the Messiah. But then they ask him, but aren't you Elijah? I'm not. Aren't you the prophet? No. And then I, I love the next part. Finally, they say, well, who are you? It's like, give us something. We've, we've got to go back to our bosses in Jerusalem. Okay, so then John's response is, tell them this. I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. In today's language, we would say that John the Baptist was very self-aware. He knows, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. But I know who is. Yep, and he does know who it is. It's Jesus. That's why when he sees Jesus, he calls him the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Which brings us to John chapter 3. By this point, John has recognized Jesus. He's acknowledged Jesus. He's even baptized Jesus. 
And now Jesus has begun baptizing people too. Ah, yes, yes. And to John's disciples, it feels like everyone now is Mm. leaving John and going to Jesus. Yes, it does. There's competition. Mm. But Mike, we've left out a verse that provides even more insight into why John's disciples felt the way that they did. Yep, and it's the previous verse, Ken. John's disciples had been arguing with someone over a religious matter, and we're told what they were arguing about was something called ceremonial washing. Mike, it seems like like we've heard that phrase before. Yep, we have. It was actually in a previous episode we talked about, which was the water into wine episode, which you can find um, wherever our podcast is. At jesuschangespeople.com. Yeah, yeah, we're just making a shameless plug right there, right? So, um, but we have heard it before. It's in the story of Jesus turning water into wine. And in that story, he uses six stone jars that held the water that was used for ceremonial washing. Which actually could refer to several things. It could mean the washing of hands and feet before a person enters a house. It also might mean, in some cases, now, Mike, wait for it. Okay, I'm waiting. I'm holding. (laughs) It it might mean the practice of baptism. Oh. Oh, okay. So John had been baptizing people now Jesus is baptizing people, and maybe John's disciples were arguing over whether it was better to be baptized by John or by Jesus. Now, I actually do think that that was the case. Which baptism was better? John's disciples are probably standing up for him. Mm-hmm. They're saying, you know, John, you were here first. This guy, Jesus, he's moving into your territory. Which is why I think John can responds the way that he does. He doesn't allow himself to get dragged into that debate. No, no he doesn't. John, John the Baptist has a very clear sense of assignment. He tells his disciples, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. In other words, Mike, my mission is from God. This was never about me. Uh, I've heard that before. Uh, on a mission from God. Yes, I mean, I, I've yeah. heard that before too. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, very good line. Was that from your time in the Joliet State Prison? Uh, possibly, yeah. I, I knew some guys there, but uh, yeah, anyway... <laughs> So he's uh, John, he's back to John. John the Baptist. <laughs> yes, John the Baptist, not the guy in the prison. But anyway, he's viewing his earthly activities through the lens of a heavenly assignment, John. Mike, is. Mike that's exactly right. You know, that kind of stuff will preach. Definitely. It's an easy preach. And he accepts, John the Baptist accepts his role. And personally, that's why I find it so challenging, this story of his so challenging. John the Baptist could have got all bent out of shape in this process. He could have let the disciples get him all riled up. <laughs> they were sure trying to get something started. But, but John is content to be the best man at the wedding. At least he knows the bride belongs to the groom. The best man isn't there to steal the show. At least it shouldn't be. And John's role was to prepare the way for Jesus, and now Jesus has arrived. Which explains his attitude. Jesus must become greater. I must become less. When we return, we're going to look at what that means in your context. Have you ever heard of Hudson Taylor? Hudson Taylor is often considered one of the pioneers of the modern missionary movement. He was only 21 years old when he set sail for China in 1853. Unlike his fellow Protestant missionaries in China, Taylor dressed in traditional Chinese clothes and even grew a ponytail, like the Chinese men did. Again, breaking with tradition, Taylor decided to never ask for donation to his missionary work, though he did share from time to time his needs and dreams with others. After 50 years serving in China, Taylor's work resulted in over 800 missionaries going to China, 125 schools being built, and over 18,000 people giving their lives to Christ. Today, in 2022, 169 years after Taylor set sail for China, his organization is still in existence, 
It's known as Overseas Mission Fellowship International, or OMF International for short. You can read more about Hudson Taylor in, his, in the biography written by his son, Howard Taylor, called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. It's fair to say that we live in a very me-focused culture. Self-improvement, self-esteem, self-help books. We emphasize individual rights and have individual retirement accounts. Mike, do you know what is one of the worst things about living in a me-focused culture? I don't know, can I? but I think you're going to tell me. What's that? Selfies. <laughs> yes. Thanks, thanks to our smartphones, we are swimming in an ocean of selfies. Here's, here's one of me eating a piece of pizza. You know, here's another one of me waiting in line at Starbucks. When I was a kid, Ken, though, do you know what? I, I, I knew how to take selfies before, yeah. before cell phones. How did you take a selfie before a cell phone? I would plant my face on the, um, you know, the copying machine. And like just, a Xerox machine? Yep, yep, and just hit the button, and, and there you go. There's a selfie. Now, it's a little squished. Well, did that hurt? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the most comfortable selfie is I've that, ever taken. Is that taken. why you wear glasses? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I probably ruined my eyes getting laser shots in them. <laughs> well, you know, while, while, while selfies may be harmless, might, might be harmless. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Being selfish, however, that, that's another matter. Yep, and I, I, can, here's something I heard somebody say one time. He said, if you and a friend are ever being chased by a bear, you know what he said? He said, what he said? you don't need to outrun the bear, you just need to outrun your friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, 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 that's what I mean. You know, that, that's not very nice. It's, in a me-focused culture, it's very tempting to only look out for number one. Right, yeah. And you know what Rodney Dangerfield says about that, looking, looking out oh for my, number please, one. <laughs> please don't. I get no respect. Oh. <laughs> but discretion is the better part of valor. We won't go mm-hmm. down that track. But you're right. We are taught to look out for ourselves, to look out for number one. And I think that's both nature and nurture. Our culture, it teaches us to focus on ourselves. But I also think it's in our nature. When, when Paul tells the Philippian church, for example, that he's sending Timothy to visit them, He says of Timothy, I have no one else like him who will show a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interest, but not those of Jesus Christ. And Ken, this this explains why self-control would be one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? Mm -hmm. Without the influence of the Holy Spirit, we would pretty much do whatever we wanted. That's a good point. And, And as a pastor, but people often ask me, Ken, what is one of the characteristics of mature Christians? And, and what do you tell them? Well, here's what I would say. The closer that you get to Jesus, the more you will put the focus on him and not on yourself. Mm, I really like that. Increasing focus on Jesus and decreasing focus on yourself. To me, that sounds like humility. It sure does. I, I don't believe a truly humble person goes around thinking about how to be humble. So what do you mean about that? Like, well, describe that a little bit more. Well, being humble doesn't mean that you beat yourself up. Mm. You know, oh, what an awful, wretched person I am. Being humble means that you keep your focus on God, uh, on his power, his majesty. He becomes number one in your life. I really like that definition. It's, it's a lot different than what we tend to think humility to be. And, and John the Baptist actually said this. He said, he must become greater, I must become less. But, you know, that sure is easier said than done. Yes, it is. And it doesn't come naturally. So after this announcement, we're going to share a few ways you can begin to put what we're talking about here into practice. Today, it's harder than ever to be a parent. 
Our kids are battling depression at younger ages than ever before. Teenagers are increasingly addicted to drugs, alcohol, pornography, and other harmful things. Parents are challenged on every front. Now imagine being a single mom trying to navigate these challenges while also facing the prospect of becoming homeless. Since 1987, Bridge of Hope has empowered local churches around the country to end family homelessness through neighboring relationships that demonstrate Christ's love. You can learn more about the ministry of Bridge of Hope by visiting their website at bridgeofhopeinc.org. That's bridgeofhopeinc.org. Like John's disciples, our natural bent is towards self-focus and self-interest. In fact, two of the first words a baby learns to say are no and me. And Mike, although our vocabulary expands as we grow older, the battle remains. And that uh, truly is a battle, Ken. Nearly every commercial today says the same thing. Whether they're selling cars or cottage cheese, they say things like, have it your way or it's all about you. Or as the old army slogan says, be all you can be. And that's the difference. Our culture tells us, be all you can be. And our task as followers of Jesus is to be all he wants us to be. That's right. As someone who has tried to take Jesus seriously for 40 years, I believe that this is the issue. Mm -hmm. Do we draw attention to Jesus or to ourselves? That's a good point. The world has enough of of the me's, enough of the me-focused people, and what it really needs, Ken, is more of Jesus, doesn't it? Mike, it does. Do you know how Eugene Peterson translates the words of John the Baptist? Hmm. He must become greater, I must become less? I I don't. I don't think I've ever uh, thought about that. How does he translate that? He translates it like this. He says, this is the assigned moment for him to move to the center while I slip off into the sidelines. Hmm. Moving Jesus to the center and moving yourself to the sidelines. But how can we do that, Ken? Well, one way is by giving Jesus more credit. We tend to give ourselves the credit for the good things that happen. And Mike, who do we blame for the bad stuff? God. Hmm. That's why more people are ruined by success than by their failure. When we succeed, it's easy to take our eyes off of God. I know I've done that. In fact, another way to move Jesus to the center and yourself to the sidelines is to spend more time reading the Gospels. The more time I find that I spend with Jesus, the more that he naturally fills my thoughts. Ah, that's good. The more we think about Jesus, the less we are spending time thinking about ourselves. It's where our eyes are. That sounds familiar too. It does. It does. Each week, we look forward to answering one of your questions about the Bible, baseball, or, like this week, our background. (laughs) Mike, have we ever had a question about baseball? No, but I'm sure you would love that. (laughs) I would. So, not that I'm aware of. We haven't had one with baseball, but um, just trying to get people going so maybe they do give you a baseball question. I mean, you're getting excited. I'm sure spring training's right around the corner. So, But one of our listeners did ask a question, and they asked, who are you guys? (laughs) Are, are you sure that wasn't a troll? It's possible. I'm not totally sure it's not. But hey, I mean, if they were asking it in serious, we want to make sure that we answer it. So why not? All right. Well, my name is Ken and I'm a pastor. That's it. <laughs> my name is Mike and I'm a pastor too. But seriously, tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself. <laughs> I, I guess that's, that's fair. You know, they, they should know who they're listening to. So, so I was born and raised in Peoria, Illinois. 
to the youngest, you know, the youngest son of Elmer and Sue Hensley. Uh, I was the, actually, Mike, the youngest of five boys. Wow, your poor mom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, t- tell me about it. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, my dad, he, he worked for Caterpillar Tractors, and my mom, she worked on us five boys. My, my parents were both Christ followers, loved Jesus, loved the church. In fact, I attended the same church from birth through high school. Mm. It doesn't happen much anymore, does it? No, it doesn't no, at all. Not really. Well, Mike, tell, us, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Okay. My name is Mike Rankelly, as you guys already know, and uh, I am a native of Colorado, born and raised, lived here my whole life, um, which is not also something that happens very often. Um, I, a, Growing up, I was a child of uh, two parents that divorced, so I've been through a divorce in my life. Uh, my mom remarried when I was um, in high school to a man um, who was Mormon but became a Christian before they got married. So she has been a believer most of her life. Uh, I was also, my poor mom, when she <laughs> remarried, um, blended family of three boys and two boys. So five boys as well. So that's kind of cool that we share that in common. Um, definitely a house full. We, we, they went to the grocery store quite a bit. Um, Let's see, what else? Uh, high school or anything? I don't know. I, I, high school. Did you, go, did you graduate high school? I did graduate high school. I graduated good. college, so that's good. a good thing. You know? um, back in college again. So You know, Mike, my, my dad's name was Elmer. Elmer. My dad's name is Rock. That's his Rock. Name. Yeah, Bob, actually, but Rock is what Rock. he actually added yeah. that to his name. And my mom's name is Faith. So do, go do with that, Rock and Faith. You know what's really good about being the youngest of five boys when your dad's name is Elmer? Hmm. That means Elmer is already taken by the time you're born. Yes, I'm sure. You don't have to get that name. So I got the, named Ken. The other thing is I'm married to Jill and have a son, Jonas. And um, yeah. So you have Jonas and Jill? Yep. Did you mention your wife and daughters? I love my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. My wife is Tanya. Okay. And, and she is a school teacher. I won't say where, because in case the person who asked this question is a troll. Yes, there you go. I, I don't want them to track her down. But we have two daughters. Yep. We have two daughters. We have daughter Hannah and daughter Hope. Uh, our daughter Hannah is a high school teacher. Uh, that, that's right. For those of you who feel like my voice sounds like a 25-year-old, <laughs> uh, daughter Hannah is 24, and she teaches high school in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And our daughter Hope, uh, she is a senior at the University of Northern Colorado. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Well, Mike, how can uh, the, the trolls who listen to our show, uh, how, how can they send us a question? Right. If they have a question or a comment, they can send it to us, send it, send it our way by sending it to podcast at mtnvw.org. We'd love to answer whatever you send our way, and we'd be happy to share that on one of the episodes upcoming. So just email podcast at mtnvw.org. Coming up on the next episode of Jesus Changes People, we're going to talk about how to move from information to application. We'll discuss three practical ways that you can begin applying what you're learning from Jesus so that you can become more like Jesus. You'll hear about the deacon who was distracted by Ken's shoes, and Mike, he's going to dig into the inner workings of Bible translations. Until then, be safe and stay close to Jesus. Thank you for listening to Jesus Changes People, a podcast that seeks to uncover the real Jesus and what it means to be a modern-day follower of Him. Our goal is to help you know Jesus better and to become more like Him. If you'd like to connect with us, you may do so by leaving comments or questions for us wherever you listen to this podcast. Help us spread the message by leaving us a review, 
And if you'd prefer electronic mail, you may send us feedback at podcast at mtnvw.org. That is podcast at mtnvw.org. Thanks again and have a great week. Mike, you don't probably. <laughs> you don't probably. You don't probably. I'm joined today by our senior pastor and the co-host of the, <laughs> the co-host. The co-host, that's close. Oh. close. I will edit out the space here. <laughs> I didn't have that ready. Want to stop and... Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess... You keep... Nice. No getting stuck on skeptic seekers nope, and nope. searchers. I did bump the table at one point, so I don't... If we knew the Bronchies or Rockies... We're guaranteed to wait, lose. Wait. He said bronchies. Bronchies. <laughs> okay, then tell them this. Mike, that will preach. Um, that, oh, no. <laughs> Close. I think, I think we'll be. He was only 21 years old when he set out on... And, <laughs> when he set out. When he went, where, 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 where? And if you'd like to know more about Hudson Taylor, you can read about him in his... Oh, man. <laughs> so close. Mike, what do you... What do we... What... <laughs> It's fair to say that we live in a very me-focused culture. Self-improvement, self-esteem, self-help books. We emphasize. We emphasize. <laughs> Silence is golden. <laughs>